Good morning. I'm Darrell Gunter, your host for Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. We're so pleased to have back in our studio this week Master Sergeant uh, Victor Rodriguez of the ROTC Battalion. Victor, welcome back to the program. Darrell, thanks for having me back. I I had such a great time last week. You know, we were talking about your candidates, you know, what type of characteristics that you look for. And you, you talked about the, uh, the Sal, the, that they're scholars, athletes, and leadership. Um, I'd like to explore your, your leadership style. What is your leadership style? Uh, that, that's a good question. I, you know, obviously, I've got the benefit of 20 years of experience uh, leading soldiers, but I'd kind of consider myself to be kind of eclectic, a little bit of everything. Um, I'm a product of, of experience. Um, but at the same time, I, I know what tool to use for what job. And there's, there's a time and a place for everything. And uh, I'm pretty eclectic in that sense. I know how to be transactional. I know how to be transformative. And when you talk about transactional, be, uh, what, what do you mean by transactional or transformative? Yeah. I mean, those are big words. I mean, pretty much I know how to get the job done in uh-huh. that sense. I definitely, I've definitely got a decent command of my uh, coercive power abilities. But at the same time, I just try to lead by example. Is that the time I saw you with the cadet? You had his arm behind his back. He was up against the wall. No, just uh, kidding. Here we go with the congressional <laughs> mandate. I can see right now. <laughs> Thanks. But how do you deal with tough, tough cadets? Someone who, for whatever reason, steps out of line and, and, and is not uh, displaying the best um, leadership that, that you think they can, and you have to address it with them. I I try not to get too loud unless it's a safety situation. Yeah, if the guy's about to hurt himself himself or another cadet, I I, I try to just facilitate what they're doing. Um, For the most part, it's all about thinking about the consequences of their action. And if they could just think ahead a couple steps, most of the time they can figure it out themselves. You know, outside of um, the work that they do, you know, within the program that you have – does the ROTC participate in type of community services or community involvement here in South Orange? We do a lot of things. We do book readings like during Christmas or uh, mm-hmm. we work in the elementary schools in that, in that regard. Um, mm-hmm. I think one, uh, uh, every, I think it's every Tuesday, every last Tuesday of every month we go to St. Joseph's in okay. New uh, and we do the soup kitchen there. Mm-hmm. We've got nine area junior ROTC programs that we, we go around and facilitate them. We we take them to color guard events. You know, they, they work with the athletic teams here on Seton Hall, do color guard events for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, for for a 100-band program or 100-cadet program, we're, we're out there quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to do because our first, our first reaction to cadets is you know, day laborers. You know, we can pretty much do whatever we want with them. But – you know, ROTC, every every cadet mm. is a student first. Of course. Yeah, of so, course. you know, they have requirements, and we mm-hmm. want them to graduate with the highest GPA as possible. Mm-hmm. So, But in saying that, our cadets know how to prioritize. They, they're great time managers, and they're definitely great at, you know, multitasking. So. Right. Now, as you know, Seton Hall has had a slight problem with a few muggings right offside the campus. Um, has anyone asked ROTC to like to help out with any patrolling or anything? Or is that outside of your, uh, your your purview? Yeah, it's a little bit outside our purview. Uh, our cadets are, are uh, they don't have any kind of medical insurance or anything like that. So, you know, there's a lot of litigation sure. that can run with that. Sure. So, yeah, so if they're outside of training or becoming 
lieutenants, then we definitely have to reconsider things. Uh, mm-hmm. We can do courtesy patrols, uh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and we definitely encourage our cadets to go out there and mm-hmm. yeah, advise their peers mm-hmm. how to be smart about getting from point A to point B. Right. Um, right. South Orange is definitely not the most lit place on the planet. So that's that's that is yeah. that is a problem. I know yeah. uh, President Esteban. He spoke with me about that at our recent University Advisory Council meeting, where he's really encouraging residents to to have more lighting. And I saw a blurb in the um, the, the news record where the, the village president was asking for residents to really use more outdoor lighting. I mean, the ambiance of the of, of the the gas lights are nice. Yes, but, exactly. But it's but it but it does create a, a particular uh, hazard because the uh, the people who are up to no good can hide. Exactly, uh, yeah. exactly. I know one of those places that uh, RTC has really changed, and we've worked with the uh, the sheriff, the Essex County Sheriff Department, mm-hmm. the Essex County. Sheriff Department at South Mountain. Um, I mean, just our presence there and our, our activities. That's at the South Mountain Reservation? Right, just up South Orange Avenue. You'll see it there uh, by the top the the top uh, apartment complex. Um, I guess it was a hotbed of activity, loot activity, uh, a, lot, a lot of drug transactions happening there. Really? Yeah. Oh. And, uh, you know, we train there typically on every every Friday, and that kind of leads into the uh, – sometimes it'll lead into the – the early weekend activity, but with our presence there and our training and and our constant, you know, communicating with the public that's there, we we've helped significantly drop that. Population so when you now. do your training there, how do you get there? Do they have to run up that hill? You're exactly right. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's it's about two and a half miles walk there and a yes. two and a half mile walk back. So um, it, it's definitely part of our physical training. Right. Yeah. You know, you can't leave where you can't go, pretty much. So right. we're all about running and walking. Right. Yeah. Very nice. Very yeah. nice. And um, if you had to, in your opinion, um, how does one prepare themselves to be a great leader? You know, one one thing that you you have to do to be great at anything, really, is the studies to show yourself approved. Um you, you've you've got to emulate the good, you know, and 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 assess your weaknesses and build upon those weaknesses. Um, one of the, one of the interesting things that happened in my life was, uh, um, I found myself at the twilight of my career, trying to figure out what am I going to do when I grow up, and at the same time, my son's about to, you know, go into college, and he's asking himself the same exact question. You, you look what too young you? to have a son. <laughs> Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You're too nice. But we're both asking ourselves that, that same question. What are you going to do when you grow up? So part of that was, you know, assessing my strengths and, you know, assessing my weaknesses and, and you know, figuring out a, a, a pliable plan, plan that's going to help me you know, accomplish my goals. And, he, you know, we had a little talk about his strengths and weaknesses, too. And and he subsequently got accepted to the University of Michigan. He's in the Congratulations. Yeah, engineering yes. program. Go Blue. Oh, wow. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's awesome. I don't know how you got that, but you know, hey. it's definitely his grandfather's genes, not mine. I can just <laughs> skip the generation. <laughs> but like I said, uh, if you want to be a great leader, you, you got to start with the book work. You got to know yourself and um, just work from there. And do you see being a leader as being a servant? You know, there are a lot of a, a lot of good attributes. For the and there's a lot of good arguments about being a servant leader, mm-hmm. um, somebody that's there to serve. Mm-hmm. Um, a, a lot of great leaders have come out of the church, you know, out of the clergy, and, and 
there is a time and a place for that. You know, there's many a times mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm actually an ordained deacon myself, so oh. I can actually uh, tap into that as well. But mm-hmm. he, when you're when you have to do something, you have to do it effectively and quickly. There's not a whole lot of time for discussion. There's not a whole lot of time for, you know, philosophy or a theoretical discussion. It's got to happen now. Right. You know, it's, right. it's definitely you definitely need the direct approach. What are some of the major obstacles that a leader should avoid? Major obstacles that a leader should avoid. Um, I think the biggest thing is, is if you're trying to get stuff done – Try not to get it personal. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's all about the objective. It's all about the mission. It's all right. about uh, executing things efficiently. Right. And there's a time and a place for everything. And um, getting too personal with people, you're, you know, people that you're trying to work with, uh, there's a there's a there's a difference between being personal and social. And you know, social settings are great. You know, they built a camaraderie. They right. built that whole team dynamic. But getting too personal, you know, that that can be a source of contention. Right. Yeah. Right. It was one thing that uh, during uh, President Obama's State of the Union address, you know, he talked about how, irregardless of what uh, soldiers in a particular regiment might have in regards to, you know, their politics or whatever it might be, when it comes down to uh, getting the mission done, mm-hmm. that that is that is the key objective. Yeah, I know. Uh, he, I think he was referring to that actual Navy SEAL team that went in and took out uh, Osama bin Laden. He was talking about the guy behind him having their back, and you know that's all that really matters. You know, the person to your left and your person to your to your right, and that's historically proven. That the Spartans were were big advocates of the, mm-hmm. the, the shield bearer to your left or right, and that phalanx, that tight formation. Right, and there's no there's no other way to develop that camaraderie than through shared hardship. And the Spartans, they 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 lived through it, everything together, and that's critical with leaders in the military today. Um, me, I was the first sergeant in the combat engineer company, and they called me a fighting first sergeant because. Uh, I wasn't afraid of getting on patrols and, you know, executing missions alongside my soldiers. And arguably one of the dangerous missions we can have. We were roadside, you know, bomb clearance guys. So I took my hits with the rest of my men. But at the same time, um, it helped us get through that that tough time. And uh, deployment is horrible. I mean, everybody thinks of a year year deployment. It's actually really the hardest parts are – not that first two months that you're in or the first two months that you're out because you got that kind of honeymoon period in the initial stage where everybody's kind of learning the ropes and they're very attentive. And the last two months, you know, everybody's just so eager to get home where they're extra cautious. But it's that month three through month eight where complacency has a tendency to slip in. So um, you got to be in You got to be proactive. You got to be assertive. You have to get in there with with the soldiers or, you know, with your workers and show them you're not afraid to, you know, roll up your sleeves and get dirty with these guys. You know, one thing that we don't know as civilians is how much time during the day are you actually in harm's way? We go to work for eight hours a day. How is it for the military when you when you start your day? When do you start your day and when do you end your day when you're in active duty? Well, I guess it depends if you're in a combat combat zone or if you're in a garrison situation. Um, garrison is just kind of like a nine to five job. You go, you go. We'll do PT in the morning. It typically starts at six thirty. That'll go to about seven thirty, eight o'clock. We'll eat breakfast, we'll shower, and then we'll go to our day job. And a lot of that's just you know up 
upkeeping equipment, taking care of administrative requirements, um, taking care of uh, emergency stuff, um, family concerns, and just making sure preparing for any kind of training events that are coming up. Some of the training events we consider, you know, consist of, you know, shooting our rifles, you know, uh, 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 keeping ourselves abreast of technology. But, I mean, essentially it's a nine-to-five job. I mean, with few exceptions, you know, out there in the weather, you know, in the elements, in the environment. Other than that, you're in a dry, heated office, motor pool, you know, safe and secure environment. In a combat situation, um, it's a little different. It may depend on your your obviously your function in in the combat arms or your function in the army as a whole. Um, me as a combat arms a combat engineer, our company was charged with roadside bombs, and we'd go down a road and we'd find a bomb, we'd take care of that bomb, and then we move on to the next thing. And sometimes these patrols were days on days, you know, moving from one bomb to the next. Um, and then when we got back, obviously our first priority was getting stuff cleaned up for the next time we were on the road. But you got to have that time to decompress. And unfortunately, where we were at in uh, Afghanistan, you can only go so far. Um, there was always the threat of rockets coming in. There was always the threat of um, of uh, suicide bombers. I mean, there was always a heightened threat. So critical things that we did was send soldiers, you know, back home on R&R, find other ways to decompress. I'd walk around with a funny hat or, you know, I'd grew my mustache a little bit large or, yeah. yeah. I, I did funny things to, you know, try to, you know, boost morale. Right. Yeah. Now, um, what you were doing in regards to the, the roadside bombs, is that what we ex- what we saw in the movie, The Hurt Locker? It, pretty much today. Not oh. that dramatic. It's a little bit more mundane than that. Uh, but that's what makes it so hard. It's the mundane after the mundane after the mundane. But soldier didn't have the luxury to, you know, yeah, of recovering. You know, it's mundane. So. And as a leader in that type of environment, how do you keep morale up? The biggest thing is try to bring home to, to the combat zone as best as possible. Satellite phones were huge. Um, connecting back home as uh, teleconference, video teleconferencing. Um, uh, we did a lot of barbecues. I would cook for the soldiers. And then, like I said, uh, realizing that things you could always be worse. You make good barbecue? I don't make good barbecue, but in Afghanistan, everything's good. Good. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> anyway, I, I try. I really do. But, uh, I mean, they were, we were even on the road at Christmas morning. You know, it was snowing. It was miserable. The wind chill was like minus 32, and we were up there doing what we had to do. Um, but I didn't get the luxury of of opening opening up a Christmas present. But it, it paid dividends in other places. I mean, my soldiers were obviously safe. They were secure. They all made it home off the road that day. And we were all... We were all happier, you know, because we were a tighter family. We were a family away from a family. So yeah, that's what Christmas is really truly about, is being with family. Right, right. What is your favorite book on leadership? You know, there's a lot of books, and it depends uh, what you're really looking for. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, what's your favorite? My favorite. I, it, it's a pretty simple book. It's by a guy, uh, a writer named Frank Pachetta. Uh, it's very practical. It's not theoretical. And it's called Don't Fire Them, Fire Them Up. <laughs> and uh, it's got a lot of I'm anecdotes. I'm not like Mitch Romney. He likes to fire people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> I think we're losing our focus here. But uh, it takes a lot of anecdotes, and it's very, uh, very common-sense approach to leadership. Uh, 
Frank Machetta, he 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 kind of made Xerox what it is today. Uh, uh, you know, household name. So uh, he talks about don't inspecting things until you inspect them and yeah, things of that. So yeah. Me being a down and dirty infantry guy, a soldier, it was stuff I could take with me and put it in my backpack, put it in my toolbox. So I definitely appreciate it. And I, I keep I keep a copy today. I read it ten years ago. It's an easy mm-hmm. read. I go through it every couple months. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Frank Pachetta from Xerox. Yeah, I should know that because I worked at Xerox. Oh, did you? Yeah. Have you never heard of him? No. Uh, no. I, he he was a big sales guy, and okay. I guess. I guess the uh, sales department was really inefficient at the time. It was like s- some uh, antiquated systems, and wow. he, he kind of like bolstered the department. Yeah, that's where I got my created. training. Oh, Zorox, really? Zorox sales, yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. You, you, we, we need to go ahead and try to find Frank. To I, exactly, exactly. No, I mean, I found that um, the Xerox sales process is really the foundation of what I teach here at Seton Hall. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. And the consultative sales course that uh, that – uh, that we teach here, and Xerox training is the foundation of that. You know, a lot, a lot of discipline, a lot of focus. It's, it's, it's all about consistency. Uh, he, he's, he's very a staunch advocate of being prepared. Right. Uh, he was, he's all about doing the homework before the work, and uh, and a lot of that. It sounds like hard work, but it just. It, it makes sure that you're ready for the team. Preparation. It, it, yep. It's preparation, and it's it, it's mm-hmm. a not necessarily a value on your time, but it's the value on the people that you're working with. It's time, you know, and that's one kind of the things I try to bring to the fight for well, my it's cadets. Not, it's nothing worse than for a group of folks to go into a meeting, and their manager's not prepared. Exactly. They're sitting around. The manager's fiddling with their his papers, his computer, or whatever it was. And people are like. I could be doing something else. Or even worse, you're sitting there for the manager to show up 30, 40 minutes later, and he hasn't showed up yet. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, you know, having a regard for people's time, I I, I think that's critical. It is very important, Yeah, very important. So it's all about that team dynamic, it really Mm -hmm. is, and to foster Mm -hmm. that. And um, ROTC, I guess they have a particular mission. What is their stated mission? It's actually just to train and commission uh, lieutenants. Okay. And... uh, like I said, it's here at Seton Hall, we try to take. You know, we're all about uptaking the standard and, and notching up a little bit, and we're all about agile, f- physically, mentally agile lieutenants. And uh, like I said, it's critical. We're asking lieutenants to do so much more than mm-hmm. than than their counterparts did 20 years ago. I noticed that the um, ROTC cadets are. It's a very diverse group. Mm-hmm. Um, Seton Hall has recently, over the last few years, have been getting a number of students from mainland China. Have you had any of our international students to join ROTC? No, not yet. No. Well, or do you have to be a U.S. citizen to join ROTC? No, you just you have to be a U.S. citizen to commission. To commission. Right, but uh, I mean, we do have some you know mm-hmm. some people that are U.S. citizens now, um, but I mean, none, none of the uh, mainland China. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we can learn a lot from the Chinese. They get bring, they bring, they, you know, obviously, we've heard a lot about the Chinese during the uh, political mm-hmm. debates and everything. But fundamentally, they bring a work. You know, they have a great work a ethic. Work, uh, awesome, yeah, yeah, education is on on you know way above par than you know American standards. You know, they have a six day you know school schedule. You know, mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. Uh, we could definitely learn a lot from them. I had a uh, when I was uh, working as the chief marketing officer for a company called Colexis. Um, I had two interns here at Seton Hall from China. Mm. Phenomenal work ethic. Oh, Phenomenal yeah. Phenomenal work ethic. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I mean, their whole culture, you mm-hmm. know. 
um, everything from the. Speaking about the Great Wall, have you seen the Great Wall? No, I, I haven't had the luxury yet. Uh, it's definitely on my bucket list. Uh, I want to see the uh, the Forbidden City, the Great Wall, and then eventually, hopefully, get to see the old Shaolin Temple. Uh, I did not. I was in Beijing this past May, well, last May, and I went to the Great Wall, and I saw the Forbidden City, but I did not get the Shaolin Temple. Oh, but my goodness. I'll do that on my next trip. But the Great Wall, it, it is just phenomenal. It's just unbelievable, unbelievable. It's one of the few man-made structures you can see for space. I mean, amazing. I mean, did you get a chance to see the Olympic complex at all there? Or? I drove by it. I mean, did I you? was, I, you know, it's, I guess they call it the outer ring. Yes. Yeah, but it, it's beautiful. Amazing. The nest, yeah, it's beautiful. It's amazing. It's beautiful. And that's the thing about China that is is so, um, just phenom- it's just a phenomenal place. But all everything that they're doing there is huge. The mm-hmm. universities that they're building, they're huge. The roads are like eight lanes. I mean, just in the city. Oh, I bet. Yeah, you know, and they're and they're planting trees like you wouldn't believe. Oh, really? Yeah, because the air is not too good there. Ah, yeah, the, air is, the air is it's tough there. I came back and I was coughing for about two months. Yeah, ah, so that's it. That's interesting. I definitely have to remember that. And when I decide to go to China, you know, stick to the country and those exactly, sites and, uh, exactly, yeah. exactly. Have you uh, published any articles about leadership? No, I'm actually I'm, I'm actually working on one as we speak. It's going to be titled something along the uh, the along the t- something along the effects of uh, I, I'm kind of toying around with it, but a good plan is better today than the perfect plan tomorrow. And talking about taking initiative and acting quickly, being decisive, um, and it's something that we definitely need to bring to the you know, bring. That can be used not just in the army, but you know everywhere. Procrastination hey, 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 hey. is a killer. Oh yeah, I mean, time is one of those you know those resources that that diminishes with the minute. So, so yeah, if we can develop a uh, uh, not only just a good work ethic, but mm-hmm. you know, learning how to be more decisive and coming up with a deliberate decision making process, but taking that process and and streamline it to the point where you can be decisive and actually make decisions on the road. Uh, on the fly, that'd be great. And, you know, a lot of times, I uh, during my career, I'd I'd air my not just air my decisions, but I also I I'd also you know just let people know my thought process. Right. You know, just just so when the decision was made, you know, we were all in agreement. But you know, as as people build confidence in my decision making process, you know that that you know they they didn't necessarily need my. You know my 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 thought process, and I was I was able to easily make you know streamlined decisions on the fly. So um, I, I think it's it'll be a great tool for our, our, our up and coming leaders, our cadets, and hopefully for our junior soldiers as well. Um, our, speak, speaking yeah, about that, how you how do you choose who's going to be the leaders among the cadets? Because I see, I noticed that when they're in the gym in the morning, right. You know, you got some folks who are giving instruction and whatnot. Yeah, it's just a, a strict rotation. Um, all the cadets have to be in a leadership position. They have to get rated. They have to get assessed. And they have to do it so many times within the school year, within the semester. So it, it's just it's just a roster, a running roster, and they get rotated out every couple of weeks. Okay. Um, so everybody everybody gets 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 a turn. It, it, at, at, uh, yeah, most the sophomores and the juniors. Okay. And the seniors are pretty much the assessors, and the freshmen that they, they don't just don't have the skill set yet to actually mm-hmm. lead soldiers yet or cadets. Mm-hmm. So they'll get their chance 
you know, the next coming year. And I noticed that when they have the um, the rifles, mm-hmm. um, I guess they have, it has a light that's to track how accurate they are when they're shooting. Just an infrared, passive infrared, infrared yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the Army's kind of cut back on our am- ammunition allotment. Every now and then we'll get we'll be fortunate enough to take soldiers out on the actual range and mm-hmm. shoot a, you know, a very limited amount of ammunition. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's that's our basic fundamental. You know, we're soldiers first and, you know, right, right. and scholars second. But uh, So are they are they uh, trained not only with, with the, uh, is it an M16? Or, yes. And, and what, what about the sidearm? Do they get the experience with a sidearm? Well, most lieutenants won't even see a sidearm until they're in the Army for about four years. So there's not a whole lot of, it's more novelty than anything else. So okay. uh, um, they won't see an actual sidearm. Mm-hmm. I, it actually took me about 10, 15 years before I was actually issued a sidearm. Really? Right. And, you know, now, you know, with the war in Iraq. Every- so with the war in Iraq, you were saying that um, every officer gets a sidearm? For the most part, most of the combat arms units, uh, an officer will have a sidearm and an, an actual rifle. Mm-hmm. Um, um, sidearms we use are, are, are the uh, oh, 9 millimeter Berettas. Uh, we used to have the old M1911s. Okay. And uh, it's a pretty durable weapon, and then it's obviously improving itself, right. so it's a good weapon to but have. Beretta's pretty sweet, though. Beretta's are sweet, and yeah. hopefully we'll get to the point where we all got Glocks. I, I'd love a Glock. Well, I think the six hours better. Six hours good. It's all yeah. about smooth action. That's right. That's but right. when it comes to the military, it's all about durability. Dragging right. it through the you know the mud and the sand and still That's firing. Right. That's it, right. It's all about you know it's a very practical weapon. That's right. That's right. That's mm-hmm. right. And um, do, do your cadets keep in touch with you after they're commissioned? I'm kind of new, so I'm definitely okay. in touch. I'm not the uh, Facebook guy and the guy, okay. but uh, I, I do get the occasional uh, visit once they uh, finish from training, or right. I'll get the occasional email. But soldiers and former leaders, yeah, I definitely have a lifelong network. Yeah, uh, yeah that camaraderie will definitely, definitely, definitely uh, last you a lifetime. So what specific programs do you want to champion here at Seton Hall for ROTC, or is it just you just carry out what the duties are, or, or are you looking to enhance it with any new type of programs? Um, not a whole lot. I mean, the, we're very regimented in what we do. Um, we definitely want to boost our, our, our uh, identif- uh, uh, name recognition. Um, we definitely want to appeal to a different, uh, you know, a broader di- uh, uh, demographic. Um, we're talking about actually repelling from the Prudential Center during, you know, some of the basketball games. Yeah. On the outside uh, or inside? On the inside. Really? Yeah. How do you do uh, that? It's not known yet. We're, we're oh, still in the planning okay. stages, but that's, that'd be pretty cool. It'd be a different way to deliver the game ball. So yeah. we're, we're actually talking about doing that. Right. But uh, um, but for the most part, ROTC is very very regimented. Mm-hmm. Our uh, cadet command actually delivers, uh, delivers our programs of instruction, yep. and we can we, we can tailor it to suit the student and suit the. Uh, the uh, academic environment, but for the most part, they have to check all the or meet all these gates before they actually go into the regular army. So that is awesome. Yeah, that is awesome. Um, what closing thoughts would you like to leave with our audience about why, if they have a, a son or a daughter who are going to come to Seton Hall, why they should consider the ROTC program? I think the biggest thing is. Um, if we just take out of uh, the equation that there's a global war on terrorism, I think the biggest thing is marketability. 
an ROTC graduate or, uh, you know, uh, put up next to his contemporary as Seton Hall graduate is more of a practical decision maker, uh, resource. He, he knows how to manage resources and people and he, uh, a multitasker. So you'll definitely get more bang for your buck out of an ROTC cadet as opposed to just a regular graduate. So it's, it's kind of a, an accreditation. It really is. We have 10 seconds for a quick quote. Any favorite uh, quote on leadership that you'd like to share with our, our audience? Oh, for sure. I, I love Rosalind Carter's, a leader takes people where they want to go. A great leader takes people where they don't necessarily want to go, but ought to be. And that kind of just, you know, that's my wife right there. I'm a good leader, and I'm definitely in a place I don't want to be all the time. And she, she, she got me there, so thank you, honey. <laughs> that's excellent. <laughs> that's excellent. That's excellent. Well, uh, Master Sergeant uh, Rodriguez, I want to thank you for coming on the program the last two weeks. I've learned a lot about the program, and I know it's in great hands under your leadership. Well, if you ever have any questions or any inputs, uh, definitely swing by and pay us a visit. We'll certainly do that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're here with Master Sergeant Victor Rodriguez of the ROTC Battalion here at Seton Hall University of the United States Army. And this is Darrell Gunter. I am your host for leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM and streaming on the net at WSOU.net. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great weekend.